So if you'd all make your way back in when you can, that would be wonderful. And we are doing uh, doctrine, and we're talking about Bible doctrine, and it's important. Jesus said, teach them to observe everything that I have commanded. So we're supposed to know our Bibles. We're supposed to know things about our Bibles. We're not we're supposed to know the concepts and the constructs of the kingdom. And we're not just supposed to have life application. Even though life application is important, we're supposed to know things about our Bibles. So I'm going to give you some ologies. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology, right? So in the Bible, when if you're going to look at doctrine, you're going to look at understanding doctrine. We're going to do the doctrine today and the doctrine of the church, basically. But we're running through some of these things just to try to give the church an overview, give you guys an understanding. There's something called theology. Anybody know what that means? So if you see the word ology, it means study. So theology is study of God. Christology would be what? Study of Christ. Pneumology would be what? Anybody? Pneuma, the Holy Spirit, study of the Holy Spirit. Missiology is the study of the mission of the church. Haramatology is the understanding or the study of sin. So all of these things relate to study, to, to, um, to doctrine. These are the headings on which all of the Christian doctrines fall. They fall underneath these, and then underneath these headings are subheadings. So we're going to understand our faith. These are, I'm just giving you some stuff. Bibliology, that should be easy. That's the study of what? The Word of God, right, understanding that. Anthropology, come on, anybody? Man, people, right? Study of humans, study of human nature, human behavior. Eschatology, come on, any end timers in here? Eschatology, nobody? Maybe the, maybe the 80s and the 90s and maybe the word eschatology has left the church, you know. I mean, this was like the, the, the cornerstone of the teaching throughout the 80s and the 90s. It means the study of last things. Eschatology, heaven and hell, Jesus' return, the eternal kingdom, eschatology. And then ecclesiology is the study of the church, okay? So what the church is, why the church is, what the church's functions are. So we're not going to run through all of it, but you're going to get an overview of it today. I talk about this one a lot because it's one of the central points of discipleship. So we kind of circle around it a little bit. Um, And so you've heard this a few times. Not all of it, but I try to add some new things. So what is the church and why is it? Jesus said, I say to you that you are Peter. So he's talking to Peter. Peter's just made the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And the Lord says to him upon the rock of that confession upon the rock of that revelation i'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it so the idea let me just pause here we're thinking well i'm being attacked by the gates of hell has your gate ever attacked you your gate doesn't attack you in other words the gates of hell were supposed to attack the gates of hell and push back darkness and those gates that hold us out cannot hold us out that's the point The church is not in defensive posture. The church is to be in offensive posture. We're to be advancing the kingdom even against the strongholds of the enemy. The gates itself. Right? So your front door is not going to attack you. Right? You might attack your front door. If you can't get it open, you might, you know, give it a kick or something. You know? But it's never going to attack you. So we're the gates of hell. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church upon the rock of the confession and the revelation that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. And from there, you will be empowered and nothing, nowhere, no how. Jesus is referencing the highest of all authorities, which would be the demonic realm. 
The demonic realm is more powerful than the stock market. I got, got news for you. The demonic realm is more powerful than any government. The demonic realm works through these things, but the church has power over the highest of angels. The sinner doesn't. If you don't know Jesus, you're, on, you're a slave and you're under the dominion of the devil, period. You're not, getting, you're, you're not pass and go. You're not collecting $200. You are a slave to the devil, whether you understand it or not. You say, I don't believe it because you're in darkness. The gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing, whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes. Your eyes are blinded. Blinded to the very fact that you're lost. The only way you come to Christ is Jesus bears witness into your heart and some revelation hits your heart that you're lost. And your head goes, no, I'm not. But your heart goes, yes, you are. And your head goes, well, I can't be because I don't understand it. And that's why people remain lost. Is it called intellectual idolatry? They worship the mind. They worship the intellect. And therefore their sin remains. Jesus isn't ministering to your intellect. He uses your intellect. Your intellect is subordinate to the spirit of God. We're to take our intelligence and subject it to the spirit of God. And our intelligence goes to another level. But what we do is we bow to the throne of our intelligence. We set intelligence and intellect at the height of all things. Human intellect. Reason and answers. We know everything. Really? Do we? Do we really know everything? <laughs> Anybody been to the doctors? They don't know much. I hate to tell you. They know how to write a prescription and, it, you know, and med you out. They'll make you drool and they'll put you in a nap for four days if you need them to. They know that real well. But they don't really know how to solve the issue. We don't know. We don't know what happened to you, Tom. We have no idea. You know, it just was there and it was gone. We don't know. But we'll practice on you. We'll make a record of it. They don't know. They have no clue. What you bind on earth, it will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The, the church is the governmental body of the kingdom of heaven. Don't you know that? The power comes through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power and the authority of heaven. But his power and his authority moves through the church. We are the binding and the looseners of the law of heaven upon the earth. What you bind, it's, this is a legal standing. You have been given dominion, not just over darkness, but you've been given dominion to administer the kingdom of heaven. You say, I have no clue what that means. Nobody does. If we did know what that means, we'd be activating it. We treat these verses like they're poems. They're not poems. They're power. And they deserve our explanation and they deserve our activation. This isn't a poem. The church is the governmental body of the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. To bind and to loose. Period. And the Holy Spirit empowers it. It's like this morning, you guys were binding and loosening. You know what you were doing? You were binding the darkness on your life and you were loosing the darkness off of you. Why? Based upon the government of heaven that resides with you because you are part of the body of Christ in the eternal church. That's what you're doing. Loosing it. Devil, you can't be here. Off of me. I bind your authority. You have no right over me. I bind all lies. I renounce all lies. I cast them from me. That's governmental authority on an individual level. We have governmental authority on multiple levels. The only thing Jesus is building is the church. It's the governing entity of heaven upon the earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. The church, we get the word church from the Greek word. Come on, you guys can say it with me. Kyriake. Okay? It sounds like sushi, right? It sounds like, you know, yes, I'll have that, Kyriake. Yes, can I? <laughs> can I get that with the rainbow roll? Can I get the Kyriake with the rainbow? I can? Okay, great. <laughs> Kyriake, and you know what it means? It means owned by Jesus. The word, you know what the church means? It means you're owned. He owns you. He owns the whole shebang. 
He owns you individually and he owns us corporately. We belong to him, right? And his ownership is one of freedom. For freedom's sake, Christ makes us free. But part of that ownership is that we need to understand that it's from him everything comes. And it also, Jesus will defend you. You belong to him. Will you defend your kids? Somebody wants to come and take your child? Just wants to do whatever they want to do with your child? Will you fight for your children? What makes you think Jesus won't fight for you? You belong to him. You think the Lord is negligent over what he possesses? You don't know him at all. He's not negligent. You're just not activating what belongs to you. And part of it is an alignment of the way that you think. If you can't, if you can't get your head straight, nobody's going to help you. Nobody can help you. Be transformed by the what? Anybody know? The renewing of your mind. Transformation, the power and activation of the, of the kingdom in your life begins with the way that you think. You think God's not good. Who told you that? You don't, believe, you don't see yourself as a son and daughter of the highest. Or you just say these things like in a mantra kind of way. But you don't live like it. And you don't confess it or just take a stand and say, no way, man. I'm a son of the highest. That is not my inheritance. This is not my inheritance. Period. I'm a son of the highest. I'm not making that decision. I'm a son of the highest. I'm not living that way. I'm not acting like you because I'm not like you. I didn't say we can't be friends, but dude, I'm a son of the highest. Divine royal blood is in my veins, period. And you have to start thinking like this and understanding this. And you have to bind all lies to the contrary. Who do you think you are? I don't think I'm anybody, but Jesus sure thinks I'm somebody. I, don't, I didn't give myself that title. He gave it to me. He, didn't call, he doesn't say you're going to be a son. You're, you're son on day one. As soon as you ask Christ in your heart, you're a son. doesn't matter what you look like. doesn't matter how you smell. You can have that funky courtship smell and you're still a son of the highest. It's true. <laughs> or a daughter of the highest. Kyriake, ecclesia means called out. Echo, ekaleo, beautiful word. Ekaleo, to call. To call from. To call unto. Jesus has called you. Has your congressman called you? I mean, the government, I mean, my, our, our governor's been in office for a few years now. I, I've yet to get a phone call. <laughs> I'm still waiting on it. But Jesus calls you. And he calls you by name. Ek Kaleo. Come out and come to me. That's what it means. Ek Kaleo. I'm calling you. Come on. Today, if you will hear his voice, not harden your heart as in rebellion. Hear his voice. Stop hardening your heart. Stop willfully acting on your own behalf and submit your life under the one who called you out of darkness. This is people's problem. Willfully acting on their own behalf. Christians do the same. Jesus is nothing more than an insurance contract they signed 10 years ago. Every other decision is based upon what they think and when they want it. No lordship. No lordship. And we wonder why our lives don't change. We wonder. Your life doesn't change because Jesus is your insurance policy for the thereafter. And every decision you make in the now is based upon your willful, selfish choices. There's no submission. There's no humility. There's no sacrifice. There's no challenge. There's no change. That's what happens. Guys, this is a kingdom of power. This is a kingdom of transformation. But it doesn't happen by default. You're given rights of inheritances. There are inheritances that are given to you in the benefit package. I don't know if you know that. 
You receive Jesus and you get the benefit package. What is that? Provision, protection. God will provide for you and God will protect you. That is the part of the benefit package of the believer. Healing is part of that benefit package. All of that, that's a generic benefit package that all y'all have. If you're in Christ, you don't know it. Or if you do know it, it's on a shelf collecting dust and you think about it from time to time. But the majority of Christians don't even activate the basic benefit package that's given to them. Destiny is an entirely different thing. So you have the benefit package that comes for you just by being a child of the highest. Then you have the benefit package of your destiny. Destiny is totally different. We, 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 we want to talk about destiny. We can't even talk about destiny until we can talk about basic things. Do you know that you're a son of the highest? If you don't know that, then you may, and you're not living like that. It's not, we, I mean, this is the modern generation. We're sons and daughters. And it's like everybody's skipping through the field with flowers. You know? I've encountered a few of them. And I'm like, do you, do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? If your father says, come over on Sunday and you don't come over, are you a son? If your father says, give unto my kingdom and serve my purposes, are you a son? Not according to the scriptures, you're not. So being a son and a daughter is more than a title. It's more than a recognition within the intellect. It's a lifestyle living unto that identity. All things unto our father, all things for our father, for his glory and his alone. My business is for his glory. My marriage is for his glory. My children are for his glory. And I will sacrifice everything to that end. I will hold nothing from that end. My money is for his glory. My talent is for his glory. My talent is not for myself and everybody to think I'm so cool. Nobody liked me in high school, so I'll use my talent now. I'll get my Instagram up, and everybody's going to like me. It's not about you. It has nothing to do with you. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be a son and a daughter of the highest. You can be nominal. You can be average. Or you can be higher. It's up to you. Really, the choice is yours. But it begins with beginning to align your, not your thinking into who you are, and not just aligning your thinking, but aligning your actions into that thinking. And, you know, you think you talk to people, they, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a yeah, yeah, no, of course I'm a, yeah, yeah, I understand. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. You're more than a child of God. Move it to a higher identity. You're a daughter. If you're a woman, you're a daughter, period. If you're a dude, you're a son, period. It's not just we're all just God's children. No, no, no. I'm a son of the highest. It's an entirely different statement. When you say that, you feel entirely, I'm a child of God. I mean, I love the song. No offense to the song. Love the song. So glad we sing in that song. I adore that song. So I'm not macking on the song love the song (laughs) jody's over there taking notes he does not like child of god (laughs) it's not what we're doing no but when you start saying that and you start understanding i'm a daughter of the highest this is who i am i'm a son of the highest this is who i am and you understand that and you root that within your heart and you begin to live your life that way and you're just understanding that your life will shift It's not going to shift tomorrow. This isn't Burger King. It's not your way and now, but it will shift. If you will sow your life in the right direction, in time and in patience, it will prevail. 100%. It is undeniable. Time and patience of a life sown in the right direction, you will prevail. It will change. You know why? It's inevitable. And do you know why? Because the gates of hell cannot hold you back. No matter what oppression stands against you, a life that is sown in patience in the direction of your identity and the will of your father, you will prevail.
period. It's, it, it is an absolute inevitable fact. Uh, if we really look at our life and we look at where our failures are, you know where they are? Start, stop. Start, stop. Start, stop. You ever start a project at your house? Right. And you know, it's a four day project and you got one day into it. And then all of a sudden you got to go into another direction. And that four day project, I'm cleaning out the garage and I got one day into it. And then you got to go back to that project and try to figure out where was I? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever do something like that where you're trying to do something and you know, this is going to take more time and then you can't get all the time that you need. And the start, stop, the start, stop. The reason you can't get it done is because I'm starting and stopping, starting and stopping, starting and stopping. You're a chosen generation. You're called out. You're chosen. Jesus didn't, he chose you. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're Jesus' own special people. You, say with me, I am somebody. Because Jesus said I am. That's right. You're his own special people. Nobody may want you, but Jesus always wants you. David said that my mother and father forsake me, yet the Lord will never forsake me. My mother and father might turn their back on me. They may, not, they may claim me as an unwanted child or let me go as an unwanted child, but it doesn't matter. The Lord will never leave me. The Lord will always want me. Always. So beautiful stories in the Bible about that. God says, Every, you, were, you were a child. He's speaking to Israel and how Israel had forgotten him. He said, you were a child lying in a pool of mud, drowning in your own misery and despair. And I took you from that place. I nurtured you. I adorned you. I put strength in you. I put a jewel in your navel and a ring in your nose. I put beautiful clothing upon you. And I made you glorious to the nations. Yet you forget me. Nobody, he said, everybody that passed by, nobody wanted you. But the Lord said, I wanted you. He wants the unwanted. He wants the unwanted. He wants the noble. He wants this. He wants everything. But he wants the unwanted. He didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call the sick people. And the well have no need of the physician. This gospel works when you understand that, these types of things, and you begin to live for this. Something's going to influence you. Somebody's going to wash your brain. I suggest using Jesus. That's my, my suggestion. Rather than Oprah and CNN or Fox or Bloomberg or whatever your, or New York Times or whatever your, your preference is that you like to program yourself with, why don't you program yourself this year with the gospel? Why don't you program yourself this year with the kingdom? Why don't you shut out the noise? Who cares? No, seriously, who cares? It's not affecting your life, yet we get so wrapped up in things that have no relevance to our lives whatsoever. Godliness is profitable unto all things, the Bible says. So what if you begin to circle your life towards that this year? Say this with me. Christianity is not what I do. It is who I am. This is not something you do. It's who you are. Okay? This all relates to the church because we are the church. The gospel of the kingdom, living from the kingdom, is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's not like, oh, you know, let me go and do this or that. It's something we live. It's part of our life. You're never going to do it fully. Well, at least I haven't hit that yet, but I'm trying. I'm working on the 80-20 rule, you know. I'm trying to get myself to 80%, you know. Where am I? Maybe 65. I'm pushing it, man. I really am. I, I, I force myself into this stuff. And you know what I see? I see shift. Say, I don't have the time, Pastor. I work a job. You got time in the morning. You got time in the evening. You got time at lunchtime, which are basically the three windows that Jesus calls you to praise. Praise him in the morning, in the noontime, in the evening. They had three offerings. 
three, three times that the Hebrew people worshipped. They worshipped in the morning, they worshipped in the noontime, and they worshipped in the evening. What if you began to listen to teaching? What if you began to edify yourself? What if you began to listen to audio books? What if you began to listen to worship? What if you began to listen to prayer tapes? What if you began to do that? What, for 15 minutes on your commute to work? Can you handle that? God forbid. Heaven forbid somebody should interrupt your drive time. Heaven forbid. Right? I mean, get up 30 minutes earlier. Go to bed 30 minutes later. You're going to see there's going to be a change in your life. Things will change for you. Force yourself to praise him. In all things, give him glory. Just force yourself. I give you glory. Just everything. Honor your father. Just, I mean, if you just begin by, Lord, I, Father, I honor you this day. Just simple prayers. Simple things. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's building and fostering that depth of relationship that you never had. Enhancing it. At Kaleo, there's a calling upon the church corporate. There's a calling upon the church universal. There's individual callings upon all y'all's life. Every person in this room has a calling. It's a calling. What am I supposed to do? Go to Africa? That's not the calling. Some of you are to raise up businesses so that you can be arbiters or funders of the kingdom. But God can't raise up the business because he can't get you to give. Oh, that's a big thing. Some of you are called to be, some of you are in a season of your life where you're you're called to raise godly children. Or you're called to instill something in that child's life for a season. That season will change. But that's your calling at this moment. It's a kaleo upon your life individually. So there's individual callings upon each one. Some of you, it's like, I want to minister to this group. I want to minister to that group. That's great. That's what you should do. But there's different different things that God calls you to in different stages of your life. But no matter what your calling is, you are all called to be part of the corporate collective. We all are. This isn't the pastor's idea. This is Jesus' idea. We're a body, aren't we? Oh, man, sorry I can't drive. I left my right leg at home this morning. Dang it. I hate it when that happens. You know, so if we leave a part of our body off, we realize we can't function together as well as we should because our body's not intact. You're all part of a member of a body of Christ. We're members of one another and members of Jesus, the scripture says. So in other words, we need each other. Okay. You need you need your brothers and sisters and they need you. They need you. Bible says just by seeing each other, there's mutual encouragement. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? You were all bummed out until you got here this morning. All of a sudden, you just felt encouraged. You start seeing, oh, man, this is great. You know, mutual encouragement just by being around each other. Ephesians says to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think through the power that works in us. So God is going to do great things above everything that you can imagine by the power of the Holy Spirit through you. To him be glory in the church. So all of these things are done through the corporate collective, which is the ekkaleo. So God's exceedingness of your life is through the church. There's a lone ranger generation. We have an orphan spirit. People don't feel like they belong in church. We have a fatherless generation. They don't feel like they have a seat at the table. You know, lone rangers, everybody off doing their own thing. Me, Jesus, in my Bible. Who told you that? Your Bible doesn't tell you that. The Bible commands us to gather. It doesn't ask you. How you feeling this morning, Carmen? You feel like getting around other people? You feeling good? How's it going? How's it going? Well, I don't know. I'm, you know, my toes kind of hurting and, you know, I don't know. It looks like it's going to rain outside. You know, I don't feel it. Does, he doesn't ask you. Hebrews 10 says it's an emphatic imperative, which means it's a command. Is Jesus Lord? Raise your hand. Anybody here? Jesus Lord? Okay. Is, is what he says, is, is what he says important? Raise your hand. Okay. So if he says something and it's important, we need to do it. 
whether we feel like it or not. Say this. If Jesus says it, it's important. It doesn't matter if I feel like it. I need to do it whether I feel like it. Anybody parent, anybody parent like that? Son, if you really feel like it today, it would just be really wonderful if you feel like it now. Just only if you feel like it. If you would clean your room. I would really be, if you feel like it, now I don't want to impose upon you. If you feel like it, would you stop eating those Snickers bars? You don't do that. Clean your room. I don't feel like it. I don't care if you feel like it. Get in there, get your laundry out here on the floor and get that room clean. Yeah, you all know what I'm talking about. We don't operate our households like that. Why do we think he does his, right? He's greater than we are. So if we, being simple, do those things, you not think he's greater? Or if you feel like it, if you feel like it, Kevin, if you feel like it, only if you feel like it. <laughs> it's not whether you feel like it. It has nothing to do. This is your 2020 vision. Not if you feel like it. I'm going to do this because not because I feel like it, but because he said so. The simplicity of your faith in five basic things. Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. I'm doing at least those five things, whether I feel like it or not, I'm doing it. You guys would, you, you would have like a, like a continental shift off that alone. David says, I make no offerings to God that cost me nothing. What a word. I'm not offering this. That doesn't cost me anything. I'm not offering that. So David said, no, no, that's too easy for me to give that. I will not give an offering to the Lord unless there's pain in that offering. I'm going to feel it or I'm not going to give it. I'll make no offering to God that costs me nothing. Offer to God something that costs you something. It costs you your time. You're here this morning, but you're reaping loads of benefits. You're reaping benefits that you can't even quantify. Well, I've got to be out of here. And it's, you know, God help me, man. I can't give, you know, what, two hours for church? Oh, no. Who? Oh, the humanity. The humanity. Wait a minute. The playoffs are on. Yeah, but isn't the game four hours? Yes. You'll glue to a playoff game for four hours, but you can't put your butt in church for an hour and 45 minutes. Consider your ways. You'll glue your butt in a movie theater or to Netflix or to the pizza parlor, wherever it is you got to do. Whatever's your, you glue your phone. That's our, you'll glue to Instagram or Facebook or, you know, something. You glue yourself to that. I mean, the Bible tells the, he told the Old Testament people, consider your ways. Consider how you are acting towards me. Just a thought. You're loved, Christian. He loves you immensely. He loves you tremendously. He wants so much for you. And he is echoing you unto who you are. But you fight him every step of the way. Stop fighting. <laughs> so you take your kid to the store. You want to buy him something, but they're acting like animals, right? You got to drag them through the store. You're dragging them. You're dragging them. You're dragging him and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I was going to buy you something and I was going to do something nice for you. But because you can't even go to me with a grocery store for 30 minutes, we're not getting ice cream. And so you go home and you can't even bless the child with what you want to give that child because that child is acting like a monster and resistant to everything that you're trying to do in their life. And do you think God's any different? 
He's trying to get you to do the things that are necessary so he can give you the things that he wants to give you and the things that you don't even know you want. But you're fighting, just like that little toddler in the grocery store that's throwing a tantrum on the floor. That's you. That's you. Next time you see that, you need to pause and and contemplate. Wow, that's me. (laughs) Lord, forgive me. I don't know where I was, man, but this kid was shrieking, shrieking. And it was like a nice place. Everybody was kind of quiet and everything. And this kid is just like, I'm not talking like a 30-second shriek. It's like a five-minute shriek. The kid is like, and everybody in the restaurant's kind of like, whoa, what's going on here? <laughs> I don't want that macaroni. Ah, ah, take it back. So we're a body. We're without division, without, without, well, there's no divisions in the scriptures. Okay. This is just a simple thing. I'm just going to tell you like what God does. This is who he is. There's neither Jew nor Greek, nor the slave, nor free, nor man, nor female. Jesus ends all ethnic divisions. There is no ethnicity divisions. Racism isn't even in the Bible. I don't know if you're aware of that. There's only one race. It's the human race. The rest of us are ethnic. We're ethnos. We're different. Red, yellow, black, white, short, tall, all that. It's ethnicities. Different backgrounds, different languages, social dynamics, socioeconomic dynamics. It's just, that's called an ethnicity. And the Bible is saying there's no difference in ethnicity. You are equal before me. There's no class difference, neither slave nor free, rich nor poor is what it's saying. Well, Jesus loves me more because I'm rich. Who told you that? Jesus loves me more because I'm poor. Who told you that? You're equal before him. Equal in acceptance. Gender is a big issue. Male nor female. In the Hebrew culture, the male was more accepted than the female. How'd you like that one, ladies? That was never God's intention. So, you know, just because the Jews did this doesn't mean it's in the Bible because it's not. Their treatment of women was very poor. They treated women better than every other culture around them. So if you were a Jew, you actually got a, you got an upgrade if you were a woman, right? You you actually had a social upgrade, but they still mistreated them in ways that God never told them to do. They did it anyway, but it's never, was never his intention. Did Jesus have a problem talking to women? They flocked to him. Paul was the same thing. The biggest funders of the church, the biggest propagators of the church, the biggest catalysts of the church, in the, as Paul's planning churches, the catalysts that were around him were all women. Almost all of them were women. All of them. They were the ones that were catalyzing the movement. You see it over and over again. Look how many women he mentions. He goes down the list. There'll be eight people, and five of them will be women. Three of them will be dudes. And usually the dude was sick, or the dude was causing a problem, or something like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Jesus is the greatest emancipator of the female gender ever. Ever. Gloria Steinem, please. It's all, that's all nonsense. Jesus emancipates the woman. Emancipates. I could go off on something right now, but I'm not going to because I'm going to stick to my notes. Stick on the notes, Kevin. Discipline. Discipleship. Discipline into the notes. The church is made up of believers, which means we believe. Can I get a witness? We believe something, don't we? We believe. We believe not just that Jesus is Lord. We were to believe that we are sons and daughters. We're to believe that we have an inheritance. We're to believe that we have eternal life. We're to believe that we have forgiveness. We're to believe that we have a purpose. We're to believe that we have a destiny. This idea of believing is trusting in and living towards the promises of God. That's why we give out promise books. We at least want you to have some acquaintance with the promises. 
We live towards life everlasting. That's a promise. Forgiveness and acceptance. That's a promise. Power is, an, is, a, is a promise. You shall receive what? When the Holy Spirit comes up. You shall receive power. That's a promise. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Purpose. You're created on purpose with a purpose. Created for good works in Christ Jesus, which God has ordained beforehand, before the foundations of the earth. He's ordained purposes and works for your life, a destiny over your life. We're to believe that. We're supposed to believe that. We're not supposed to hold the chair and say, I'm just occupying until Jesus comes. We're supposed to actually believe the things of our faith. This is what the church is made up of. A people who are radically different in their mindset, their hearts, and their intentions. We're not to be like the world. We are to be diametrically different. So people look at the Christian and they look at the lifestyle of the believer, who the believer is, and they look at somebody who's living towards themselves. They should be able to see a difference. There should be a marked or a noticeable difference in some way over you and everybody else. There should be. There should be. The way we handle money, the way we handle our jobs, the way we handle sex, the way we handle our children, the way we handle marriages, all of that is a reflection of who we are in Christ. Your Sunday morning is a reflection of who you are in Christ. It's a testimony. It's public worship. It's actually a witness to the world that Jesus matters. When you publicly come to worship, you're saying to all of the culture, Jesus matters. On the first day of the week, he deserves my first fruits. He deserves the first part of all that I am. And I say it before heaven and earth that Jesus matters and he's worth it. That's what this is. You're testifying by showing up here. (laughs) I come from a church where everybody used to carry their Bibles, right? And we'd all stand outside because the church was on a main road and everybody stand outside with their Bible, you know, and the bigger the Bible, bless God, the more witness you were bringing, you know, you'd always have this guy, he'd come up with a, with a wheelbarrow or like a wagon. He'd have a family Bible in the back, you know, (laughs) it's true. Everybody standing there with their monster Bibles under their hands. Anybody remember those days when everybody used to bring their Bible? Remember that there used to be a time when people actually brought their Bibles. Now we have it on our phone, we have it on an app, we have it on a screen, I get it. So we're called saints. You're a saint, did you know that? No, I'm not. I'm not a saint. You are. You know what the word saint means? Consecrated and set apart. Which means God has set you apart for himself. What a beautiful thing. Jesus has set you apart for himself. How beautiful is that? Which means he's not going to speak to other people or a culture the way he will speak to you. He will not reveal aspects of who he is to other people the way he will reveal himself to you. You are a saint consecrated, set apart for him. You are his treasure set apart for him. Right? <laughs> I don't know my wife. We have, I don't even know. We were, we were all way. And so we had a lot of time together, which is great. And Sherry's just, something happened with somebody doing something crazy. And Sherry goes, I swear to the Lord, Kevin, I swear to the Lord, I, I would, I would, I would kill you. That's what she's saying. <laughs> so of course we're shopping, you know, we were shopping and this lady comes up to me and, um, this woman who works in the mall, which, you know, whatever, it's a big, big store. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't overtaken by it because I know this chick's just trying to sell something. 
So she's like, oh, yes, wonderful. She's like, come over here with me. She's like, I like to show this to all the men. And I was like, what are you talking about, girl? You have to show what to all the men. But she starts showing me all these creams and lotions. And, I, and as soon as she's got me over there and I'm looking at the creams and lotions, out of nowhere, <laughs> the Sherry's right here. She's over here looking at some things, leaning over, trying to hear what the conversation is. She's like, I was watching that cougar. And if she got any closer, (laughs) she's like, she was going to get a swipe. She's (laughs) She's like, she was flirting with you. I'm like, well, what do you want? You know, know." (laughs) she's trying to sell me something. She's pursing her lips. Don't you like this cologne? Don't you like this cream? Sherry was immediately in the zone. She's like, I swear, Kevin. I'm like, I've been with you 30 years. I'm not like, if I'm not going nowhere, I'm not. It's funny. Because she's set apart for me. And I'm set apart for her. And she doesn't want to share me. And I don't want to share her. And Jesus doesn't want to share you. And you you shouldn't want to share him. He belongs to you. You are so special to him. You are consecrated and you belong to him. And he loves you. You're not common. You are not common. If you just say, Lord, I need you to love on me. And you just open your heart. You're gonna, his love will begin to pour over you. Lord, I need you to do something meaningful to me. He'll do something meaningful to you. He will. Lord, show me that you love me. Show me that you care about me. I feel like nobody cares about me. He's going to show you that he cares about you. He will. If you'll give him an opportunity to show you how special you are to him, he'll do it every time. He's waiting. Jesus is like hardcore, radical, romantic. There's nobody like him. Nobody like him. He goes right to the heart. Right to the heart. Boom. He puts the arrow right there. First Corinthians, the church of God in Corinth, to those who are sanctified and called as saints. You're called as saints. So not we're just saints, we're elect. You know what elect means? You're chosen. Jesus chose me out of the whole world. No, Jesus chose you because, or the Father chose you because you chose Jesus. Jesus has chosen that through the whole world, the world would be saved through Christ. That is the choice that heaven, the counsel of Godhead has made. The choice is through Christ, all will be saved. Through Christ, they can become sons and daughters. And when you choose Jesus, because he's already chosen, when you choose Jesus, you become chosen. That's how it works. That's, you're not chosen because eeny, meeny, miny, mo. He chooses you because you made the right choice. And he cho- he's already chosen to call people to himself. And when those people respond, they become chosen. So if you're not, she said, oh, I'm not special. Well, receive Jesus. You'll become super special. <laughs> like you've never known. Jesus chooses to offer us restoration. He chooses to do that. And he chooses, to, chooses those who willfully choose him. We're supposed to be disciples. We're supposed to be Christites, which means we, the word disciple means we apply the truths to our lives. We're the body of Christ. This is the beauty. Say this. Jesus is in me, and I am in him. That's right. He's in you, Christian. We are his, we are collectively, we're his hands, we're his feet, we're his voice, we're his heart in the earth. John 1 says, in him was life, and that life is the light of all mankind. You want life, man? It's in Jesus. 
You want light in your soul and in your spirit? Man, worship the Lord, Christian. We get saved and then we forget all of the other stuff that's part of this process. All of the other stuff that belongs to us, we forget it. And we think we just, we're just believers. No, you're way more than a believer. You need light in your life, it's there every time. He doesn't hold it back for you. You can be completely screwed up, shot out, doing the wrong thing. You call upon the Lord and your inheritance activates towards you immediately. Immediately. You could be half in the bag last night doing all the wrong things. Then you come before the Lord. You say, Lord, forgive me. I'm come before you this morning. I just want you to bless me. Whoosh. There it is. There it is. Because it's yours by inheritance. You didn't earn it. It belongs to you. That's the inherited portion of our faith. And part of that inheritance is his presence. You have access to his presence anytime. What is that worth? I mean, if you read the Old Testament, you read how these guys were trying to interact. They were trying to interact with God. They couldn't. They couldn't because the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit left. The Holy Spirit came. And they were not subject to him in relationship to that degree because the blood has not been shed. So they worshiped God as outsiders. They were still, when they worshiped God, but they worshiped him as outsiders. And they would even cry, rend the heavens, rend the heavens. That's why we talk about open heavens, because that's the cry of Isaiah. Lord, that you would rend the heavens. Lord, that you would come down. Lord, that we would know you. Lord, that we would see you face to face. Lord, that we could experience and encounter your presence all the time. They were dependent upon a visitation theology. They waited upon God's visitation, and they had to fulfill certain requirements in order for the visitation to happen. You have no such requirement. You have habitation. There is no requirement on your life for visitation. None. None. Oh, we need to be holy. Just heard this guy talking about holiness yesterday. I'm like, yeah, how's that working? Every time I hear somebody going, we the holiness movement and the Pentecostal church needs to be revived. I'm like, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. We don't need to revive the holiness movement because we can't be holy. Who are you kidding? You think you can be holy? You can't keep it together for two hours, let alone two years. It's true. No, if you really understand that, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the presence. His presence is a gift to us. It's part of the inheritance. The work of the body of Christ is to come together. That's what we're doing, not forsaking the assembly. We're to form a house. God expects his believers to form a community. That's what we've done here. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're building here. And that house is to be what? It's reflective of its people. It's to be, number one, a house of prayer. Number one, off the rip, out the gate. Jesus didn't say a house of praise or a house of preaching. He said prayer. Paul says, first order of business, Timothy, is the order of the church is prayer. Institute prayer. It's a house of prayer. That's why we pray in between the worship services. We're praying as we're worshiping. We're praying before we minister. We're making declarations. We have prayer after. We have prayer before. We have prayer. We try to circle everything in some way, some form with prayer because it's supposed to be a house of? Right. It's a house of presence. His prayer and his presence are everything. And from the prayer, the presence, praise, preaching, power, and purpose. That's what this place is collectively. That's what we are to be. We're, we're, not, we're not a Wheaties box. We're not, you know, like the culture. Look how cool we are. Woo, we're Christians and we can be cool too. Ooh, 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 ooh. Everybody's trying to be cool. I had a guy tell me a long time ago, Jesus has not called you to be cool. He's called you to be effective. Now, if you can be effective and be cool, great. But you're not to put effectiveness behind cool. And what is effectiveness? Jesus wants disciples, learners under discipline. He's not looking for a crowd, people. He's looking for, he's look, I mean, if you think he wants a crowd, you read the story of Gideon. Did he want a crowd? 
I mean, how'd you like to have an army whittled down to 300 guys and you're going up against thousands? And Jesus is like, okay, I think we're ready now. I'd be like, what? Wait a second. This is what I planned on. He can do more with a handful of devoted people. He can change the world with 12 committed apostles. 12 that are committed and bought into the process and are willing to go all in. He can change the world with a small group of people that are committed and dedicated to that cause. If, if mass was the issue, we, the, the globe would be evangelized, but it's not. It's intention and direction and commitment and bondedness. Internally, we're supposed to make disciples. I got five minutes. I have five minutes. I have five minutes. I'm almost there. <laughs> we're internally, we're to make disciples. We're to teach them to obey. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've told you. That's what a disciple is. We learn and we do. We learn and we do. We're to serve one another, right? It's the body of Christ here. Sons and daughters. We're to help each other. My value is to be given to you. Your value is to be given to me. Our value is to go into the corporate community itself. And our value is to be shared one to the other. That's what it is. There's a witness. The world will know you're my disciples. How? Anybody remember that verse? By the way, we what? Love. Agapeo. The way we love, selflessly serve, sacrifice, serve, and sow into each other's lives. We're to develop the kingdom culture within the church. Culture of the kingdom is to be developed within the church. That's another story. Externally, we're to bring that kingdom culture to the city, to the region, to the nations. How? Outreach. One of the outreaches is public worship. This is actually an outreach. God commanded the church to meet publicly. They're told, meet publicly. Jesus didn't hide. They met publicly. So public worship is an act of outreach. Hospitable community. We're to be a hospitable people so that when people come to our, our public gathering, curious or whatever they may be, we're to be hospitable. We're not to tell someone, well, that's my chair. Bless God, I've warmed that chair for the last three years. Why are you sitting in my chair? <laughs> we're to prefer the person. Humble, gracious, kind, loving, generous. Individually, we're to reach out to our friends, our family, our coworkers, our classmates. It's called oikos. You are individually responsible for your center of influence. What? You are individually responsible for your center of influence. You are the only Jesus these people are going to meet. I don't think so. Yes, you are. You have been given a ministry of reconciliation, the Bible says. That Christ through you is reconciling the world to himself. Every believer, no matter what your ministry is, you have a ministry of reconciliation. And you are responsible for the center of influence in which he's placed you. What is that? Friends, family, coworkers, classmates. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at it, but you need to have some intention with it. So when I'll tell you what that looks like in a second. So in 2020, we want to up your game. What does that look like? Well, just a brief standing rise to the level of your birth. Prioritize church attendance, Christian. If all you can do is get your butt here and warm the seat, great. That's, that's a start. Attend some of the seminars, the workshops, the things that are going in here. Better yourself. Some of you have been here for a long time. You've never been to Firestarters. You've never been to this. You've never been to that. Why? Why? We don't do that as like exercises of emptiness. We're trying to develop you. Some of you have been here for a while. You've never been to EMT. Why? Go through the processes. Get involved. Join and attend a life group. And get activated. Get, get, get moving. Lastly, on the whole Oikos thing, list five people. Everybody hold up five fingers. Five fingers. Say this. This is dangerous. Holy Spirit, identify five people that you want to reach through my life this year. That's it. 
Write them down. Put them on your refrigerator. Put a magnet on it. Pray for opportunities. So what you're going to do is you're going to identify those people and you're just going to pray for those opportunities. You're going to pray for those opportunities. Lord, that I pray for such and such. I pray for him. I pray that you would open up a door. I pray that you would open up his heart and you would provide the opportunity. Simple prayers. That's it. It doesn't have to be complex. And then you prepare yourself to share. Share for what? Invite them. Invite them to what? There's lots of stuff going on here all the time. You know, you're going to have a couple of opportunities at least throughout the year to invite somebody to. And just plan and show intention with that. So find those five people. Identify them. They can be anybody. Let the Holy Spirit show you. Jim from the office, you know. Uh, Maria from the neighborhood or whoever. I don't know. Let him identify them for you. Pray for them. And then pursue those opportunities when that comes up. If we're doing family portraits, that's an easy in. We're doing Mother's Day free portraits. Hey, Maria, you know, you and your mom. I see you and your mom. You know, look, we're doing free portraits at the... I mean, easy easy hot dog day hey we're doing hot dog day you know come on you know i mean i don't know pick something pick something but be intentional about it that's the whole idea we're called to live on mission that's what it means to live on mission is that you're living the mission of jesus and you're reaching other people that christ wants is reconciling the world to himself and he wants to use you he wants to use you you don't have to be billy graham you just got to invite that's all just come along you can be an andrew come and see hey come and see Fish and chips, you know, hot dogs. <laughs> Amen? Amen. This is who we are. This is what we are. I'm going to bless you. Look at that, Shelly. Shelly, I am on time. 5-0. 5-0. All that and on time too. Happy day. It's a good year. Let me bless you. We'll have a prayer team available for you for the next 20 minutes, but let me bless you. Just say this, Father, I commit to you to go all in. I don't have the strength in myself, but in you, I have the power. Holy Spirit, take me to another level. Challenge me beyond myself. Holy Spirit, show me who you want to reach through my life this year and show me how to do it in Jesus' name. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week.